How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 115. Let's not beat around the bush, Zeke. Yes. We have a guest. We do. For the like... first time in a long, long, long time. Yeah. Mr. Stephen Clark. Who is it? Oh, it's me. Yeah. It's you. <laughs> I'm back. You're not it the is... audience member. What were you? You were 64? <laughs> Episode 64. Thank I think that's you. correct. Oh, Whiplash. What which, a time. I know. That's 51 Whiplash. weeks ago. So you've nearly not been on the show for a year. Yeah. Well, that, that episode aired on March 30th. And of course, this episode's going to air, albeit late, but on March 31st. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild. So you've got a year to catch us up on. <laughs> I, I, I got a, yeah, we got a, we got a year's worth of chatting to do. I mean, like oh, I, no. I, I was talking to Jake and I was like saying before, I've seen guests, you know, make appearances in, in this time. I'm just like thinking, what did I do? Did I say something last time that didn't get me back on? Did I did I offend someone? Did it? <laughs> yeah, it's because like literally the episode before and after you, we had Perry on like two times yeah. in a month. Yeah, <laughs> true. So he was like, what's that going was a good stretch. Here? We had a lot of guests in that time. Well, um, that was that was the last time we had. Yes, because then we had the pre-records during COVID, mm. and then we've been all over the place. We finally have a somewhat regular place to record. Yes, which is cool because I since our last episode, Zeke, I got a new desk. You do; it's very everything. fancy. It's all yeah, very nice. Listeners can't see this right now because this is obviously an audio format, but we're actually in like a NASA kind of setup studio. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Like, yeah. It's like white walls. It's just like, it's very professional. Yeah. It's Millions crazy. of dollars have gone into this. It's, it's very crisp. It's <laughs> state of the like art. <laughs> All right, Jake and Stephen. Yeah, how are we going to do this? Let's so. let's give you both an opportunity right. to, or maybe um, because this quote's pretty obvious, maybe I want you to oh. say your name as your buzzer. And then oh, okay. we'll get one of you to right. guess it. So, so Stephen, what okay. we're doing, it's episode 115. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we're, we're going to pull out a quote from a 2015 film. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I guess we're buzzing to say what film the quote's from. Yeah, so yeah. I, I just want you to say your name as the buzzer. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, first to get it right. Okay. Mm. A few outsiders saw what no one else could. The whole world economy might collapse. Steven. Ooh, no. The big short. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. There we go. So, Adam McKay. The point. It, I rewatched it like a few weeks ago. That is the 2015 film by Adam McKay, Damn The Big Short. Uh, Jake, I'm sorry, mate. But that doesn't count as technically a loss. Uh, I, I, but I, Steven I, has a point in this yeah, decade. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got more points than me. I'm climbing the ladder slowly. Yeah, yeah. I'll only have to wait another year to get the second point. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we get into business, um, there's one thing. I, I was We were exchanging stories last week, me and Zeke, about fear to go and experience. He's talking about the, the couple that... That walked out of the, the truffle, truffle hunters. Trun- truffle hunters. <laughs> right. the, the Italian uh, documentary about truffle hunters. Ah, yes, yes. And, um, and of course, it reminded me of the story you told me about your Swiss Army Man viewing. And I just, I wanted you to tell that story to Zeke. Yeah, do you want me to tell on, on the podcast? All right. Yeah, so, <laughs> so um, I, uh, myself and a, and a mutual friend of ours um, uh, went to a screening of uh, Swiss Army Man at uh, Luna and Leaderville. And, <laughs> and obviously... Anyone that knows anything about Swiss Army Man knows that it's a pretty, uh, pretty out there film, pretty weird, pretty strange. Um, One of Jake's favorite films. Yeah, no, exactly. Yes, it, yeah, yes, it, it explains is. a lot. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, we, we rock up. We rock up to the cinema, and you, when you go to like a place like Ludolinaville, you expect to see a certain demographic of people, mm. right? You know, if you go in the morning, you know, sometimes you do expect like a couple of the old characters. If you if you go to these kind of wacky films, you expect you know your, your film student, your, your indie kind of. Uh, Skinny jeans and, yeah, and glasses, kind of characters. Prominent when we went and saw Jojo Rabbit, like just yep. the demographic oh, was just yeah. so like 
film hipster. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's <laughs> You really see what producers mean when you go to those screenings <laughs> with target audiences. But anyway, so we get to the screening and we get in there and we're all, we're all alone. So we're like, oh, okay, we must be the only people seeing it. And then down come about three old ladies and like it like i'm not talking just like generally old ladies i'm talking like these ladies are frail like they're walking in with like walking sticks and i'm thinking to myself have they seen the trailer do they know what this film is like uh, uh, if they do then good on them but um i didn't expect it to go down well and the film starts and you know obviously there's a lot of fart jokes and there was just a running commentary from these ladies the entire time just being like oh disgusting <laughs> vulgar oh my god that's abhorrent when, when they saw the title swiss army man they probably thought of like some 1950s man that can do everything <laughs> they're like we'll watch this and uh i'll never forget it was so funny it was just like they didn't hold back at all they were roasting the film the entire time and it kind of added to the experience if i'm honest and, and by the very end the credits came up and like it, they did not waste a single time as soon as it was like directed by it was like they were up out of their seats and they started walking out and um, just as they were walking out, um, one of them just remarked, that is, has to be the worst film I've ever seen in my entire life. And, uh, that's, and that's one hell of a life. She saw the first film. <laughs> <laughs> trip to the moon. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I saw, yeah, Trouble Hunters last week. I told the story in full last. But basically what happened was halfway through the film, I had two an elderly couple to the left of me, myself, and then two uh, elderly ladies in front of me. And the two in front of me halfway through the film go, are you understanding any of this? And it's like, it was a completely subtitled film. And they're like, I can't keep up with the subtitles. Do you want to just go? Like, <laughs> they, just, they just got up and left. And I was like... I mean, the, the, the worst one, so I used to work at a cinema, um, as you know, Jake, I used to work at the palace cinemas in the city and uh, basically the worst thing I've ever done is um, a, a group of old ladies came in and for some, and they wanted to see The Farewell, but their okay. eyesight wasn't that great. And they asked me, does The Farewell have subtitles? Because we can't see it if it does. And oh, for some man. reason, in my brain, <laughs> the farewell's completely in English because I was just like, was so transfixed by the film. I guess I just didn't even notice I was reading subtitles. And I told them, nah, no subtitles whatsoever. And halfway through the movie, these ladies come out like, can we have a refund? There's like so many subtitles in this. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, because the farewell totally works if the entire movie's in English and all the characters were yeah. American. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's definitely a brain slip on my bar. <laughs> Well, no worries. Speaking of movies, what have you both caught in the last week? Well, I'll I'll get off the segue of interesting audience reactions oh. um, because this particular movie I saw in the last few days, the the house lights went up early, like a full minute before the movie actually ended, and I found it funny because everyone just started packing up and leaving. And it's like, are you conditioned by the house lights to just leave? <laughs> That's how that, you get people out sooner. You just yeah, put the house lights up and get out. It, it was either that or it was the film. So I, the film I'm talking about is Godzilla vs. Kong, which mm. is interesting because I haven't seen any of the other relevant films. So there's two before this, right? In this, I think this is the fourth Is it one. three or four? Yeah, I think it's three before, isn't it? Yeah. Because there's two Godzillas. There's two Godzillas. And then... The skull, skull Kong um, Skull Island, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's in the same. Yeah, the same. The monster verse, the, really? the lizard verse. Wow. <laughs> exactly. So Didn't that might that. have hindered my experience a little bit because I had no nostalgia to the characters. I was like, oh, I guess that deaf girl was in one of the other films. <laughs> mm. I guess I don't know, but you didn't see the one with Cranston in it for twenty minutes. 
<laughs> I, I might watch the beginning of it. I might have just stop watching once Cranston's gone. <laughs> yeah, I remember them marking that film as like Brian Cranston's big action film after Breaking Bad, and then yeah. he just like disappeared. He disappears in the first <laughs> act. It was strange. Yeah, look, I I didn't hate the film. It was it's exactly as promoted. You know, you're gonna get your your Con and Godzilla fight. I won't spoil it, but Zeke, last week's discussion, um, we were sort of in the wrong camp of uh, who we thought should be on the winning side. Not that there's like a definitive. This this character's dead now, yeah. and this character wins. It's like they kind of answer it, but they don't. Um, I like the sound a lot. I thought the sound was like really good, but um, I don't know. It was just a lot of weird. What motivated stuff. you to watch that if you haven't seen any of the other? <laughs> you know, you know what it was. Uh, we have a group chat, me and a few friends, and um, I posted a review quote that someone reviewed of Godzilla vs Kong, and it just said. Like Fast and Furious, but with giant monsters. And I sent that, and they were like, yeah, we should go watch this. <laughs> so we went and watched it. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of like weird writing choices. I know like me and Blake have had a few conversations about it. There's a, a Tide Pod joke at one point. Like Millie Bobby Brown tries to buy a bunch of Tide Pods for some reason, and they're like... I'm not selling it to you. You know what's going to happen? I totally like, forgot that Millie Bobby Brown's in that as well. That's, yeah, yeah. And, and her character has nothing to do... You know what's actually hilarious? And I'm just going to say it. It's kind of like Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but it's like, you look at the film. First off, Godzilla's in it for like maybe two minutes. I'm not exaggerating. Like, this is a Kong movie, for sure. He also has like a full army of and like a naval army with missiles and ships and like all these scientists behind his back and Godzilla has like a podcaster and those two kids like that is legit his backup well if, if you think about like the the kind of logic behind that like it kind of makes sense like you can make a film about Kong because he's kind of like, he's, he's huge obviously but like right. you, he can kind of live on these like extreme islands or something like that you can kind of like be chasing him hunting him mm. with Godzilla like if that fucking thing is anywhere, like, it's just <laughs> causing destruction the whole time. Like, it's not just chilling, like... It's Kong. true. Yeah. I mean, the, even to your point, like, the first scene he's introduced, he's just, like, killing people. Yeah. And then they introduce Khan, and it's like, he's just, like, napping in the forest. They're playing, like, this sweet, like, Adam Sandler 2000s music sort of thing. Like, it's like, Khan's just a good guy. 51st Apes. Um. <laughs> it's a great film. I mean, not the apes one, the, no, that's the, date, the dates one. Stephen, have you caught anything in the last week? In the last week, it doesn't um, have to be the last week. I think. Yeah, I mean, you've got the last year, the but last year. <laughs> we might be here. You want to talk about downfall? Talk about downfall. I would love to talk about downfall. That's an entire different episode, though. Fair enough. Nah. Um, what have I been watching recently? Um, I've been probably I haven't actually caught too many movies this year. Um, because yeah, as some like you guys know, I've I've just become a recent father, so uh, kind Ooh. of sitting down for an entire movie sometimes is a bit difficult mm. at the moment. Um. Right. But I have been watching a lot of television, um, so that's kind of been my... Yes, tell us about Play School. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, um, no, I, I've been watching things like Succession, keeping up with like kind of the, the top stuff at the moment, and um, yeah, just I think we're just in a golden age of television at the moment, so... Yeah, sure. It definitely ebbs and flows, like I think at the start of the year I was way more, I like burned through a lot more shows and series, particularly series. Series, um, yeah. Like, we both talked about Queen's Gambit on the show. Yeah. Um, I've been going week for week with Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um, oh, we're going to mention that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I watched uh, I watched a Stan series, which was Bump, which, yep. was, which was pretty cool. That was an Australian miniseries. Um, so I, I definitely think serialized format especially has become quite 
the the new norm. I think uh, we even are pushing a little bit away from TV seasons, and we're pushing more into trying to tell stories over eight nine episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of see where that format takes us and mm-hmm. kind of how it evolves. But I mean, really, it's just an extended movie when you think about it. When they like serialized format, it's like well, yeah. the quality is getting there in terms of apparently, like you know, the budget's like, oh, we have to shoot on this cheap film. And what's the budget for? Like, like, that's not a problem I, anymore. I think that as like, you as you see with um even something like the Snyder Cut, limitations sometimes are good. <laughs> like so, I think that you um you when these kind of filmmakers are dealt the hands, you know, you've got to make eight hours worth of content on less than a feature film budget. Yeah. How do you do it? I think that you see a lot of great creativity, imagination and kind of ingen- yeah. ingenuity. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah. It's I was, a- I talked about Euphoria a few weeks back yeah. and I think that's a great show. Great show. Using just really inventive use of camera and editing and all these things that, yeah, they don't have money for explosions. So I was like, well, how else do we keep this interesting and engaging? And then uh, you're right. I think budgets are good. Very good things. Yeah. Unless yeah, you don't know how to use it. I mean, You have to be in perfect harmony with right. with each. I yeah. yeah. I mean, a film that I caught in the last week that kind of helps because of its confines of its budget is I caught Searching for the first time. Ooh, um, nice. And I think that that's a good example of sort of how clever limitations can be. Um I don't think the budget was astronomically high. Shouldn't have been, um, seeing as <laughs> no, it was. Uh, there's some like set piece ish moments, even if it's shot from like a helicopter or whatever. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. for the most part, it's more just the creativity you get out of that yeah. film that's, yep. that's most impressive. Have you caught it, Steve? I so I have caught it. Um, though I, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. I was a little bit drunk when I caught it. So okay. <laughs> I, I definitely have not uh, seen it sober, so I need to. It's a very serious. Um, yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a bad mixture. I've <laughs> been watching Unfriended. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> but um, <laughs> even um, this this week's movie of the week, which we'll get into later, is mm. a film that I think is definitely improved by the fact that it, its budget isn't great. So yeah, yeah, that's so. a good point. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. The um, so I'll quickly just mention Falcon and Winter Soldier since mm-hmm. it just came yeah. up. Um, obviously, I was a big fan of the first like ninety percent of One Division. Kind of fell yeah. with the their last episode a little bit, but so that's okay. how are you feeling with the first couple of episodes out of the gate? Well, it feels like the polar opposite series in in that that WandaVision's very interpersonal and it's about the characters and the relationships and and this show feels more about like the wider effects of like the blip and the post endgame world and stuff uh, which i like those scenes you know like when you know falcon's trying to get a bank loan and stuff like i like that kind of stuff but we were talking about this a couple of days ago Stephen, where it's like it's so rare that i find a show like this where every second scene bugs me and then every other scene is like okay i'm kind of digging it's like i'm so back and forth with the show whether I like it or not that's interesting it's I, I think like because obviously yeah, I'm up to episode 2 as well so you yeah. know I've been following along um, and I, I definitely agree with your sentiment about WandaVision I think that it was one of the most like experimental kind of yeah. fun different shows that the MCU had done and then I think that it just completely turned its back on what actually made it great by the end mm-hmm. um, I think with with Falcon and the Winter Soldier we are seeing something that's a lot safer yeah. it's um, playing into people like it's well known that the winter soldier is like a fan favorite film mm-hmm. so i think what it's trying to do is kind of trying to recreate that feeling um but i don't think as yet it kind of understands the exact essence of kind of what made that good i don't think the plots i think the plot is probably the main issue that i have with that show it just mm. feels really? like it's kind of meandering a little bit but um I, I personally i'm in it for the characters like i'm actually i'm quite invested in kind of the story of you know um sam and bucky and what's right. going on with them and 
um, how, you know, what their duties are going to be in the MCU going forward. And also I like the idea of the new Captain America and kind of what, what that says thematically about like the world and kind of how they're trying to just rebrand and recast everything. You know, it's kind right, of like, yeah. it's kind of like a modern theme that we're looking at. Yeah, I've actually really enjoyed the first two episodes, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, uh, there's not a lot I had problems with. I think there was a couple of little scenes that bothered me a little bit but for the most part i really like the themes and the direction i really like the ideology like of this new faction this like new world order-esque faction where they're like because it makes sense like from a yeah. point of view like it's something that obviously to this point hasn't really been addressed until this show that if half the people blipped out of existence for five years the world in a lot of other like a lot of factors that you don't consider would have gotten significantly better like um and i think they address it maybe in one or two scenes in end game i want to say in game oh there's about like um when they're doing they're sitting down yeah when like when they're sitting at the meeting just after the the five years have passed anthony russo scene yeah that's where like they're literally talking about oh fisher returning to the huts and like there there are actual aspects of life that have dramatically improved because half the people don't exist like which is funny because yeah. that almost exactly happened with COVID. Lot, no, there <laughs> yeah. were legitimately lots of reports of like, oh my god, like these rivers are like inhabited again. Yeah, that. especially in like the when we were in about a year, like the year ago when everyone was in the super lockdown. Like there was like in Buffalo, America, the that was the first. Like, yeah, they were, like it was like the first time like animals had returned returned to the land. Yeah, yeah. there was like yeah. photos, like satellite photos of like the world getting greener and stuff like that. Jake, I, at first I thought you were gonna say it's like COVID because like half the world had died. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite but, yet. Yeah, so I, I I I think that their faction makes a lot. That second episode, I was a little bit more like, oh, I'm not sure. They're they're somehow like a rebel alliance now. Like, yeah. like I thought they were this like this was a really big ideology and there was a real clash of of these people that you know moved on because five years is a very long time i mean if if your parents died you're always going to be really sad but in five years you would have hoped that you've moved on some distance from it yeah they just came back to life you'd be oh (laughs) yeah you'd probably be a bit like i don't really have the spare room anymore yeah home tackled it where they did the more comedic side of oh these families are broken up now it's funny yeah whereas like <laughs> yeah you know it's like when he does the bank loan thing where he's like well look five thousand people came back so five million like five half the world came back so now we have to like from an economic standpoint this does affect things significantly and it's mm. like oh yeah it's like i know that sound that's the equivalent of like phantom menace our oh, trade agreements and stuff, but, <laughs> no, but that, to that point that's kind of the stuff that i liked about the show and it's like when i but see i think it's really touching on that and i really like 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 steven says the stuff with cap and like the yeah. new cap trying to be like oh nothing happened and the, i think the whole point of the show for the two characters in this arc is to let steve go like yeah, I definitely. think that they're gonna end with no one getting the shield. Like that's where I think it's gonna end uh, up. Like they're gonna probably I use it. It's gonna do the Marvel thing. It, if, yeah, I, it's gonna get. It. I feel like Sam's gonna get it by the very end. I feel oh, like I'm gonna yeah. stand by. I think. Yeah. It's, I think it's He's it's gonna... going back in that case. I know. That that, that would be really nice. But that's that, like really... predicting that one division was gonna end in a more satisfying way. Like it, of course it was gonna do the Marvel thing and play it safe. And oh look, Vision's still alive and stuff like that. I guess it's kind of the spoiler. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, spoilers, spoilers for WandaVision. I mean, well, I, to be honest, we're waiting on 
Black Widow to talk about this That's in detail, but <laughs> we're just keep yeah. getting pushed back more and more. So I mean, who hasn't seen these shows at this point? Like, it's ridiculous the numbers there. Well, it comes back to what we were talking about with like how much buddy the budget these serialized shows get. They're yeah. like yeah. Mo- like next level movie budgets. Yeah. Like they are, but I still like for one of my biggest pet gripes so far with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is that the green screen looks pretty bad mm. from like Marvel level. Like that fight on the truck in episode two. It looked very teeny. They're Russian. Oh well, man, I, I thought it was pretty rough, to be fair. But yeah. um, yeah. I, I just, oh, well. I mean, yeah. hey, you get limitations with television, but yeah. And, and how much of this was shot during COVID? It's, it's yeah. a bit dicey now with what shot when, and I don't know. I, I can forgive it for stuff like that, even though yeah, they no. have a massive budget. No, that that is definitely mm. nitpicking. I mean, Black Panther has horrible visual effects. That's true. In that end scene, but, yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> cool. yeah. In your big but, climactic fight, yeah. it's like <laughs> it's bad. Mm. Like it's amazing how something that's pretty far down the line in terms of MCU films was just so shocking. It's actually interesting with that. Have you guys ever seen like um Ryan Coogler's original VFX like run with that? Probably not, no. It's um there's some photos you can find them online of like what he wanted that to look like and what oh, interesting. Marvel wanted it to look like and they went with the Marvel version and everything's way more overlit. It's like yeah, I, I, I genuinely think if they went to Ryan Coogler's version, mm. it looks a lot better. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Fair. Fair. What else have you caught in the last week, Jake? Well, I caught a documentary. I know you've seen it too, Zeke. I have. And I know, Stephen, you're familiar with the director, at least. So I watched the Operation Varsity Blues on Netflix. So it's the, the guy who did Jim and Andy, who did Fire, which Fire yeah. is probably one of... That is yeah. a treasure documentary on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. But, um... Yeah, I know we both watched the Zeke, and I was kind of lukewarm on it. Fire's got a three point three on Letterbox. That's absurd. (laughs) What's going on here? Um, No, so it's like I really dig because all people that went to the Fire Festival (laughs) (laughs) reviewed it. (laughs) One star. They thought they were reviewing the festival. (laughs) (laughs) I literally just looking at it like, wow. But here's the thing: like that, the Fire documentary is so fascinating and so energetic and so wild, and I kind of pushed it out of my memory when I first watched it so I've watched it being like basically blind and I kind of expected them to bring a similar energy to this because you know the whole premise of oh you know the the, the scandal was going on in these colleges and stuff yeah. so it's a very kind of similar story of like villainizing this guy and this horrible thing he does that affects all these sort of rich kids around the country it's a very yeah, it's similar thread but he focuses so much on the um, I keep forgetting the, the title the, the word I'm looking for, the um, reenactments. Oh, yes. And I know you've sort of pitched it to me that they were using like the real wiretap audio and mm-hmm. they were sort of dubbing over that. I don't know if it actually was dubbed. It didn't sound... No, it wasn't dubbed. It was okay. just when I... Like they got the transcripts from the wiretaps right, and right. then they just got the actors to say what the people said in real life. Ah, okay, maybe I overhyped myself because yeah. I thought that's what was going on and I was like, that's not this. Um, I, I don't know. I just... It got to the point where I was like, why don't you just make a narrative film? Why well, it's American American Animals or something like that? Where yeah, you... it was exactly. kind of like the reverse engineering of American Animals. Where right. it was like... I feel like the documentary elements in American Animals directly correlate to the feature film. Whereas this one, it's it's kind of the opposite. It's kind of like... the like Because they never intersect with each other like they do in, in it. Like... Um, American Animals so it ends up becoming pure reenactments and yeah. and pure two separate cameras, kind of segments there are literal bits in American Animals where the people getting interviewed are affecting the people yeah. in the in the, the feature it's film. great <laughs> and it's great yeah it is great it was a, yeah. episode, episode 3, three. 
way back. Long time ago. But, um, yeah, you know, I just that, that was kind of my thing. It was like it just it seemed jarring because it was like it was almost too well shot, and all the houses were just these big empty houses. I'm like, is no one gonna set? This yeah, place, and it wasn't it, it wasn't quite me. as like dramatic or like pressure cooker as um, fire. I think fire's pace is what is one of its biggest strengths. The when you get to the the festival day, your yeah. anxiety is just like through the roof because yeah. you're starting to feel the panic of the organizers and everything. you're seeing like the workers literally be like, "This is going to be <laughs> like <laughs> they literally crying and like screaming and running it's around." Very much like you know the bombs under the table. You're just waiting for it to go off. Yeah, <laughs> like it's... yeah. We got to do fire like on a, on a proper episode one day. Yeah, that, I'd be like that. Fire's so good. Seriously, Rob's in its award year for sure. Yeah. Like, was there any fans you wanted to say about the Varsity Blues? Because I, I think no, you, you, what, what we got out of it was just watch Fire instead. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I Jim was and Andy. a little bit more positive yeah, on it, but I liked the, the whole story they were telling, I guess. Like, the material yeah. was really interesting to me. The idea that these people that are just wealthy and they have all the tools to be intelligent and successful and do it the right way mm. still cheat. Like, and they still found, you know, like they said, like they didn't go through the back door, which is pay the uni, make a donation to the uni so much that they have to let them in. No, they, they created a whole different door where they could save their money. It's very, yeah. comes back to, honestly, it's the biggest, like one of the things I like the most is they address the real problem with the prestige problem in universities in, in America. Like that it's such an obsession it's not even about going to learn something to have a yeah. tertiary education mm-hmm. over there. It's about going because of the status symbol that comes to go yeah. to that that particular university. And yeah. I don't think we really have the same problem here in Australia because everyone who's an Australian citizen has the the access to uni because we don't have to pay up front. We we honestly don't even have to go through the high school pathways to get into no. university. Most I didn't. Of the time. Yeah, yeah, neither. My ATAR was shocking. Yeah, so it's <laughs> like. It, for us, it's like there's so many different avenues that it becomes that, that that prestige just kind of is what we bring to the university or what mm-hmm. we bring to our education or what we do with our education. That's where the prestige comes. But it comes back to the education as the predominant focus, not the fact that I went to Harvard and that's all I need to do. I didn't do anything at Harvard, but I went there. Yeah. Like I, I studied there. Yeah. Like no, you hit the nail on the head exactly. And, and that, that's my favorite thing about it is the student angle of it and the Olivia Jade angle and and mm-hmm. like the prestige of it as opposed to the educational benefits. No, that's the best part about it easily. Yeah, the rest that over that dominated Docker. That I was like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, only other thing I caught this week was. Uh, Palm Springs caught that. That's right. Yeah. Um, don't know if you boys have caught it. I have not seen it. I it's been on my list for a while now though. I've seen it and I liked it, but all the hype I got at Sundance. I was like, maybe yeah, a little I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Jake. I, okay. I sat on the same rating. I liked it, but these Groundhog Day esque, uh, <laughs> you know, escapades. They're they're good, and they're always pretty funny. Um, but I didn't see anything in this film that made me. Like, it just lacked a little bit of the substance that you could get from something like About Time. Like, yes. Right. Yes. Um, so good. Where it's like, there's some serious heart, and whereas this is just a simple kind of romance. I guess the only difference with this to something like Bill Murray, like Groundhog Day, is they're both caught in the... the yeah. The, but they don't really do too much. Like, in all honesty, they don't do too much with the, 
the power they have. I think that's the thing is like it, people were like, oh my god, it's such a fresh, unique take on it. And I watched it, being like, is it though? Yeah. I couldn't really tell you how it's a fresh take. Like Sandberg's character does nothing but pretty much drink the whole film, and he's kind of just whiny for the most part. <laughs> and well, he sort of accepted. Yeah, I know. Like, I like I like right. the idea of like some like because that's sort of what happens to Bill Murray in Groundhog Day, where he just goes, "I've tried killing myself like all of these ways," and he just yeah. accepts he's God. But there's something about the Bill Murray delivery; it's just so charming. Whereas Sandberg, it's kind of something about I like his like boyish charm that he has in Brooklyn Nine Nine. But whenever he's done like features, a lot of the time it just doesn't stick with me. Like his performances, right. um, I like Christy Mollie. She's great. She's great, yeah. Um, I, th- I think with those kind of films, it always comes down to, like, if you're watching it and you're like, would I rather just be watching Groundhog Day? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, or like, About Time. Or yeah. About Time. Yeah, was, there, there is really good examples of that kind of format working, but like you said, mm. it's when they kind of, they isolate a certain aspect of it and kind of bleed into that, like, for About Time. It's the romantic story that you're buying into. Mm. It's the it's the story about family. And there's there's an episode of Supernatural that's really great that uses that format and a, a game, uh, Life is Strange, which is an excellent... Great yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, great game. I think it comes back to it's like something with like about time too. There's a lot more rules, whereas this one, it's just the day resets pretty much. Like that's like, there's not that many... I know they bring in the, they actually bring in the science quantum physics side. If that's their idea of a fresh take, then... <laughs> cool man like you're doing a bit of science like yeah. I, I, I honestly I'm guessing it's something to do with the romantic aspect but even then it's like there's still that in Groundhog Day yeah just watch Russian Doll like that is a fucking great <laughs> example in my opinion of a better version right. yeah, there's nothing wrong with it but it's just like there are five or six films or shows or games that you could probably point to more that you'd just be like well I think this does it a bit better yeah we're not allowed to talk about games on the show no Steven. oh this is bad. last time early. I mentioned Spyro I got I got yelled um, at yeah that's all I, that's all I've caught what about you Jake um, yeah pretty much I've seen some Bon Joon Ho films but I think we can save that for the second half of the show oh, I can just sprinkle that on is there anything Stephen you've seen in, in general just in general though? in general because even even your Whiplash episode that was sort of a off-kilter pre-recorded episode where we didn't do our typical what have we watched in the last week yeah, discussion yeah. so you haven't had a chance to talk about anything outside of Whiplash on the show mm. Anything outside of Whiplash? I mean, uh, for probably like if you had asked me a year ago, that that time then was probably like the most prime watching movies <laughs> time right. period of my life. No, been really busy this enough. year, but in general, like you know, there's there's been some great stuff I've seen. I'm currently rewatching Futurama, like I spoke to you the other yes. day about Jake, which just come on Disney Plus, mm. which is just a hoot of a time. It's <laughs> some great writing in that show. Um, so good. It's been enjoying that. I watched Deer Hunter for the first time. That was that was probably yeah. one of the classics I've caught recently. I've, knocked did, it off the you, blacklist. Did you watch it recently yeah. too? I feel like you did. No, I haven't. Nope. No, I've got it. I haven't watched it yet. Okay, maybe maybe I'm thinking of you then, Stephen. Yeah. yeah. Got to get through. Well, it's yeah. fair enough. Well, um, yeah. Do you have any career things you want to pop in there, Jake? Um, or do you want I to move into a couple of things? I want this conversation mostly be on Stephen for this episode. Yeah, cool. Oh, uh, I mentioned quickly in the last week that I did a Zoom meeting with a Melbourne stage production called Unsorted, which uh, one of the stars is Michaela Innes, who. I worked with Disconnected, of course, and um, we did a cool interview where we talked a bit about the show, and it was the first time I've done like a Zoom thing. So that's on the Clicker Facebook, and since they actually have reached their five thousand dollars stretch goal on yeah, Kickstarter, awesome. so awesome, awesome news for them. But um, yeah, oh, and also I've I'm on the most recent two episodes of the Let's See How We Go podcast with Joe Ash and Wade. So those are I think the second one actually comes out tomorrow. 
but uh, you can check that out as well. But, Mr. Mr. Clark, last time you were on the show, you talked about a little project that you were cooking up in early development. It's called a. It's called the Eagle. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> the Raven. No, the Raven. Um, yes. No. Yeah. That, that's really funny, actually. Like it, the coincidence of it, kind of like bookending my appearance on the show from the last time. Um, we were really in an early phase of pre-production at that point, still trying to scrounge up some money to make mm. their film. <laughs> but now <laughs> you were going to a meeting after that recording. That's I was right. too, yeah, wasn't I? You, yeah. Yeah. You had to leave to go to a meeting. That's right. Yeah. No, that was a busy time. Um, no, yeah, no, now as we sit here now, we're, um, just, we're in the final bits of the, of the sound mix and we've got the grade to go and we'll be premiering the film on the, uh, the 15th of April, um, at the backlot, which is super exciting. What a bookend. Uh, that is actually pretty exciting. Is it just going to be just the Raven or is there going to be like a little short before or is there? No, yeah, it's, it, it'll, it'll just be the Raven on that day. Um, short before the short. <laughs> short before the short. <laughs> now, there will, Jake, well, Jake's made a little behind the scenes, um, uh, little five so, minute yeah. short, which will play at the end of the film, which will be really exciting. Mm. I guess it does as well. count as two. See? Two, See? two films, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I actually have a second film as well, which is premiering on April 8th at um, Luna. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of two within a you week for Stephen, me. You've got the Stephen Clark Festival. The Stephen Clark <laughs> Fest- Festival run in the next few weeks. So it'll be, yeah. Exactly. Go and add it to your Letterboxd watch list. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> is it on Letterboxd yet? Like the Raven? Uh, one of them is. Uh, piano's on uh, Letterboxd. I still need to make the Raven one on Letterboxd. So. you got a post already. For the Raven? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just got to whack it up. I had to google myself this is my like very lame career i had to google myself for our like education course because it's like you don't want people my imdb comes up and i'm like oh Oh, my one way to credit yeah way to disconnect it (laughs) and there's just like all the google images is just me directing mostly from faces like and i was like okay well that's not so bad there could be way worse photos was i always thought like as soon as you have a hyphen name like you're immediately like you're coming up when you Google yourself, right? Like, there's no other person with your name, so... Well, I had pretty... to change my name on Facebook, because I was like... I, I noticed that. Yeah, so I've changed it to my middle name. I was names. like, did he block me? Oh, no, it's just a good <laughs> new name. That would make it very awkward every week. <laughs> when you have a name like Stephen Clark, you, there's, there's a hundred of yeah, us out say, there. Yeah, I was going to say, so. it's tough. You're like the fourth result on IMDb or whatever. Yeah. To be fair, most of your stuff isn't on IMDb. So can we... No buy tickets for either of your premieres or what's the go with that stuff so for uh, for for the piano you can technically buy tickets i'm not oh, sure no, um I get it then. yeah yeah I'll, I'll send you a link if you want um awesome. uh, unfortunately with the raven um what due to covid restrictions um there's like a massive restriction on seats so we've only been able to invite people that worked on the film plus um my, myself and blake the creators of the film only were able to have um like three or four plus ones so we we really kind of so it's, it's going like to be a very plus fours then plus fours yeah 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 plus four it's like an Uno just, card should, yeah. what you should do is you should just like play it on loop for like an hour and a half and just cycle people in <laughs> we, that's actually no it's joke kind of what we're doing so we're we're, pl- we're we are screening it twice um so there'll be a screening that is kind of for the friends and family mm. that have been invited and the um the people who helped us make the film so um Healthway and uh, Drugs Aware. Um, all their representatives will be coming to that screening and the second screening will just be the kind of the casting crew so that's really interesting because we went and saw something not too long ago and I don't think there were any restrictions at Backlot when we were well it wasn't it wasn't a full house was it I guess but I guess it wasn't like I think it's 40 seats I think yeah it's it's, it's 40 
Uh, yeah, well, so I think it's 50 seats in the room, mm. but uh, we're only allowed to use 40 of them, essentially, is what we've okay, been told. So, so yeah, there'll be, be, there'll be, it would be, no, it's, 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 it's not, it's That's not 80% tiny. capacity. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's yeah. silly at that point. I'm just like, <laughs> it's like, we've got 60,000 people sitting in our stadiums now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly right. What, what difference like... does it make? Hey, yeah. but AFL, man, you got to do anything at AFL. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really inconsistent. Um, it's just inconsistent, in my opinion. I've watched it, that AFL documentary. Oh, actually. sweet. Yeah, yeah. We watched the first couple episodes. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I like it. No worries. Well, would you like to move into our? Have you got anything more? No, you want I add? think uh, we're good to go. No worries. Well, it's time to move into our film of the week and latest director's corner. But Jake, who's the director, and what are we watching this week? We're talking about Bon Joon Ho, and the film is Memories of Murder. A big city detective helps two inept small town cops investigate a serial killer. Ooh, eerie. Boo. Very eerie. Very eerie. So, Always uh, wanted to watch Seven. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, director's corner for uh, as as uh, Spike Lee might like to call him, Bong Juno. Bong Juno. They did it twice. Is this the director's corner for Pong Juno? Oh, sorry. I thought we were doing the director's corner for his translator um, at the Oscars. <laughs> She no. is directing a film, I think. She is about the the Academy Awards wow, run. That's sick. Which is really cool. That's that cool. I didn't cool. know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, Pond Juno. A good time to do this director's <laughs> corner with the award it season is, around yeah. the corner. I don't well that no I I don't have my collector's box set with me. <laughs> I've left it in my room. But well, that, you guys also obviously did a Parasite episode um, yes. as well, right? Yeah. Fifty The week the week at four fifty five. The week at one, yeah. Because we pretty much uh, it, episode went up Monday morning right before the Oscars yeah. and it was pretty much a choice between Parasite and mm. 1917 and yeah. I said I don't care what wins we're doing Parasite and yeah. and ended up winning so yeah. <laughs> it yeah, we cool. actually never did 1917 on the podcast no. yeah. we it. should because we're sort of divisive on that one very divisive mm-hmm. we make a good discussion but we're not talking about Sam Mendes <laughs> no <laughs> no sorry so uh, yeah Pan Juno I'm going to stop doing that no. Um, yeah, so he's directed what seven features. Um, he, he's done uh, several of the you know like three four directors do one film yeah. together. He's done several of those, and he's done a bunch of shorts which are now available on the the little collector's box set that mm-hmm. they put out. 
Um, did you catch any of them? Soon? Unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, Sorry, I betrayed the podcast. I, but my I know. I I still have them. I'm gonna watch them. I just. <laughs> right. Well, I because this so uh, me and Stephen have seen Memories of Murder. Prior, you're a big fan of the film. Yes. And um, Zeke has never seen it, so actually. This is my first time watching it. Yeah. Oh, so, very nice. Yeah, very excited well, to I've only caught three of his films, including Parasite and, and Snowpiercer. Snow yep. Um, nice. Yeah, so got a good array there, I think. Um, yeah. I was going to watch The Host, but I have to be in a certain mood to watch horror films. I'm like, not. Well, it's kind <laughs> of a fun. Is it a fun horror film? I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah, well, he, his, whole, yeah. His, his whole taste, I feel like, inherently isn't like that kind of dark, like horror, horror. Like Right, yeah. So I definitely think that that's, that's a fair point because from the three films that I have seen from him, he does walk a, a line of taking these some of these really morbid and serious conversations and he still somehow manages to kind of pepper in like a weird, funny sort of... like. Like watching characters drop kick each other, like, <laughs> and it never feels out of place. Really strangely, like it, like yeah, it's like I mean, it was pretty funny. And it, in Parasite, if you didn't get a little chuckle out of that drop kick down the stairs, like <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, uh, I thought you were referencing the drop kick in Memories well, of Murder. You mean the, the drop kicks? The drop kick. Well, I, yeah. I, there's actually a, the you multiple. can you can play a shot game pretty much with that. I think <laughs> <laughs> while watching Memories of Murder. Well, yeah. it made me laugh because um, when we did the Parasite. Um, episode it was actually a very similar thing where Zeke watched it for the first time to then do the show mm-hmm. and you said the only thing you knew about it going in was that there was a, a drop kick, kick. <laughs> which wasn't even that accurate because it was more like a like a back kick yeah it's, yeah. Not, it's not quite as overt as the memory of murder which are blatant yeah. like drop like two <laughs> tackle don't tackle They're someone fly drop, kicks, kick yeah. them down like it's, it was always like it's more of an aerobic stretch in Parasite <laughs> if anything yeah <laughs> But it's well, even like, you know, you, you take his most westernized film, which is Snowpiercer, yeah. and yeah. it's like there's still, like, you know, like Tilda Swinton's character and stuff yeah. like that, which are very, like, ov- over-the-top kind of funny characters, where it's like, that is that is a shoe. A shoe does not go on your head. The side story about Bong Joon-ho with, with that film, Snowpiercer, is so good. Just the idea of him fighting Harvey Weinstein just constantly on every decision with that film. I'm not sure if you know about this, but... Not much, mm. no. I know it's his first, like, American-English mm. film. Well, American-English film. Oh, that, that's so interesting, because ba- basically, Harvey Weinstein obviously produced um, Snowpiercer, and essentially, he just, like, wanted to cut entire segments out of the film. He apparently was fighting with Bong Joon-ho constantly during the production, and right. um, Bong basically just, like, won every single fight that they had. <laughs> and you know. Well, when you're the guy at the front of the train, you probably wanted to cut out some of the content. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe we shouldn't show the engine room. <laughs> two very different career paths. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, what, what's exciting about this episode is that we are going to focus on sort of the pre-Western side of his filmography. And what, I mean, one of the things I did catch, I did catch Barking Dogs Never Bite, <clears throat> which is his first film. Uh, so you've got them all. You've, you've, I've yeah. seen them all now. Yeah. All these features. Yeah, I've seen a lot of his shorts, which I'm probably I've, I've written reviews on Letterboxes. Check those out. I'm not gonna get it. A lot of them were like, eh. You can kind of see where his beginnings are, but sort of hit and misses for me. The the thing with Barking Dogs Never Bite is I found there was that tonal sort of um, melding that he does, where he has like these really comedic moments, but these horrible things that are happening in the background. And a lot of it is uh, renowned around, like, harming dogs in the film, which is, like, you need a bit of a tough stomach. 
you don't have a love for dogs watching that film. So it, it felt like he needed a bit of that stepping to get ahead into Memories of Murder, where there are plenty of hilarious scenes and an otherwise very grim 7-esque drama. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a little less... I mean, because of those funny scenes, because in 7, it's just depressing pretty yeah. much the whole way through. I don't think yeah. there's any sort of alleviation. There might be one scene, I think, that dinner scene with you know Freeman, Brad Pitt, and... Um, Gwyneth Paltrow, yeah, Gwyneth yeah, Paltrow, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's probably the only like slight alleviation you get through the whole film. But then it just right. goes straight back to oh, this horrible murder or this horrible murder. Whereas this one has like moments of reprieve, and then it. But it some of the I think some of the things that happen in Memories of Murder are way harsher than um, what happens in. Um, in seven mm. absolutely i mean like yeah if we are talking about memories of murder now like the first thing yeah. i think like it's worth pointing out is um that like, like like you're saying those kind of moments of um of funniness i think they feel to me like just moments of normal life in south korea it feels like a real kind of social commentary on like we're seeing i, I think you're supposed to get a laugh out of the fact that these cops are like really inept like yeah. like it says in the in the log line you know like they're just assuming people are committing crimes. They're literally abusing their their power over like people. They're they're just doing whatever they want, basically <laughs> running free roam. And then this serious cop comes into town and starts doing things properly, and yeah. <laughs> and it kind of really shakes them the wrong way. True, but then I think the whole film follows his decline into yeah. kind of like the same sort of mindset as these these country. And if anything, yeah. one of these more rural cops at the end of the film is more the voice of reason than this this big federal agent um yeah i find the interesting aspect of of this film are little things like um the limited resources they have or even just like it comes back to one of the benefits of like parasite that the uniform nature of that story is great but we still get an insight a cultural insight into how south and how what it's like in south korea for like the lower and upper class mm-hmm. differentiation. I think this uh, film does it, takes it that step further because, you know, we only pretty much see the lower socioeconomic life. We never really see too much indulgence or anything like that. And mm-hmm. I find that really interesting, particularly rural, like mm-hmm. exploring that rural setting over, um, you know, obviously Parasite's city-based, so that was interesting too. I don't think I've ever watched a film that really focuses on, like, rural south korea well i think sort of the genius of this film and it goes back to what you were saying Stephen, it's sort of normalizing the ineptitude of, of the cops and, and the fact that the, you know this is based on real life yep. serial killing is the first of its kind in south korea so it sort of plays into that they're in way over their heads and they've never dealt with anything like this before mm. um so you have this normalization of, of them sort of running around the fields and there's there's kids and there's tractors and people walking over the marks and there's this all this chaoticness yeah. and it's it's juxtaposed by the last crime scene which we'll talk about later that's really messed up but they, they have like this amazing juxtaposition of the methodologies which i think mm-hmm. is one of the best examples of when they kind of pit these two characters against each other um which is like the methodology of like doing your job like in like a very professional manner which we see obviously with the new cop coming and then you have almost like the superstitious kind of backwards town um sort of policing which is like our main character who is kind of like he thinks he can see whether or not a criminal is a criminal just by looking in his eyes and there is a great scene we'll talk about later in the film right you know on the train tracks where that kind of comes back full circle and um yeah i just think it's a criticism of both in a Mm. way um while while also like 
just in plain view is making a commentary about how these serial killings were just like the most terrible thing that has mm-hmm. ever happened to like these people and they're just so un I think like the unpreparedness for it yeah. was what really caught these characters off guard yeah yeah and it really and I think like you like you both said is like yeah because they were the first of its kind it, it really shows that even those who are more prepared and by the book didn't know how to deal with a lot of the psych like their own personal psychology with it and i think this this film obviously has a lot of parallels to seven i'm sure we'll touch on that um it's like the psychological breakdown of, of you know these like authoritarian figures and watching their mental state slowly decline into kind of almost committing the same sort of heinous acts that yep. um you know that might have been done by this person or might have been done by someone that they never actually even met um i said to jake when i walked out of it obviously the the fincher parallels are are there um even with this film and obviously i i said the other film that it reminds me of obviously which was a couple of years after this was zodiac yep so um i definitely think that there's obviously appreciation mutual appreciation for both their works because um, I think that they both have um, this film obviously not as much but I think this is a product of the time Bong Joon-ho does really like that digital look too that Fincher yep. does mm-hmm. um, and obviously that scene um, post Zodiac so post 2007 it's quite apparent because that's when digital sort of the digital cameras really started to take off in, in Hollywood and stuff like that um, but even this film has like a cleanness to it most of the time which like even you know even probably because it was shot on film so it's something i noticed with the blu-ray because it was the first time i saw it in blue i otherwise saw the dvd and, and Stephen, you bastard you saw it in the cinema that's <laughs> <laughs> great that's crazy twice but, um, oh i hate you <laughs> no but it's like seeing it in that um like resolution for the first time like they're the they're such the muddy color grade was so evident i didn't really realize this like how sort of murky and gross the whole film looks but you're right there is a there is a cleanliness or a clean cleansliness cleanliness what's the term I'm looking well, it's for it's like a deliberate colour palette I think yeah. that's oh it's it, very deliberate of course But yeah. it, and it's not like naturalistic sometimes it's quite like we're deliberately pushing the sickly feeling because we want you to feel sick which yeah. is sort of what happens in, in both Seven and Zodiac Right. I think there's a lot of early signs of like Bong Joon-ho's like just mastery of direction I think in this film mm. and I think like those are great examples of kind of ways that he's handpicked the look of this film and like he completely understands what this film is thematically and he's representing that on camera very well I think um, personally like um, like obviously I'm an aspiring director myself the way that the blocking in this film works mm. is like on a level I don't think I've ever actually seen before. Like it's one of my favorite blocked films ever. There's constantly movement within the frame. There's constantly this kind of idea of like storytelling visually from one from the left side of the frame to the right side. Um, it, it's it's just very, it's a very clever film um, on that kind of level. I think technically. It reminds me of um, when you talk about the blocking. I always think of the scenes like in the underground. Yeah, so Bunko, the, those yeah. ones in particular. I'm like, yeah, the blocking is just incredible in those. Like in and, the interrogation room. Yeah, 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 yeah. like in the interrogation, like the, the the mentally challenged kid, and and mm. I, I love that scene as well, where it's part of the normalization of the horrible things they're doing, where they're just abusing this kid, but yeah. they're also sitting down watching TV, eating food. And yeah, it's. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's where the, like the melding of those like weird. He's literally bleeding out in front of them. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think also another interesting aspect is the fact that you're constantly seeing these characters, um, 
live this life that is like like you're saying very personable like everyone is in constant contact they're always going to the same re- like the police are eating at the same restaurant as the father of the son <laughs> that yeah, they yeah, currently yeah. have arrested like like it's that kind of like small town kind of feeling and i think that's why like what you were saying earlier Zeke, like why these murders are affecting them so much like you're really seeing the effect that something this dark has on such a tight-knit community yeah. and i think that that's kind of like part of the thing that's underpinning why they're kind of slowly dissenting into this mad state yeah, yeah and i definitely think most people like the the people that throughout the film they investigate who have hit a lot of aspects of their life and they're only getting life light shined on it um is helping just slowly deconstruct not only like the personal but the cultural and the and the economic the socioeconomic um like microcosm of this community because we're starting to see you know like cops who are openly um abusing a mentally disabled kid and and multiple men doing heinous well kind of gross acts and yep. they've gone for years doing this stuff without actually ever having a light shined on it because it never really affected anyone directly but the fact that we're like breaking this down is we're showing like and, and how like how much stuff you know how many skeletons we keep in our closet you know and and mm-hmm. obviously the way that word travels around this very small town it, it leads to sort of just one every time a murder occurs they just slowly get deeper and deeper into that should should we talk about some of the actual like kind of i guess your killer scenes i suppose like the the murdering scenes themselves because for for like for me seeing them in the cinema like wow like i don't think i've ever (laughs) seen such an effective jump scare as the scene where the killer oh, pops out and out. gets that girl who's just walking down like the kind of um he, tall he saw grass. Like, he saw like yeah, where he does the creepy crawl spider through, crawl. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was that's, that's scary. Terrifying. That genuinely like got everyone in the cinema. Every single person. I knew it was coming. It still got me. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think just the that with the amalgamation of the the song that plays. Yeah. The tone. Uh, all the music. The whole incredible. tone. Um, yeah. It's just yeah. It's a really that whole scene is just so like uncomfortable and scary and then when it happens you're like oh my god like geez and i think it's it's weird to like because that's only probably close to the midpoint maybe post yeah like it's not it's It's not close to the end no it's it's not not. close to the end so it's weird to see like this this serial killer you know obviously it's still tough to discern like critical Mm. features but it's, he is coming at you head on. So, yeah. well, that's that was what I was thinking because it's like, yeah, for a film, and I want to talk more about the idea of seeing the eyes and recognizing the face and how that yeah. ties into the ending. But I, I wonder because you're right. It's like it is one of those things. If you freeze, freeze the frame, like how much of a good look can you get at this person who probably yeah. is the killer? <laughs> but was it in mind? You know, in 2003, like was, was there an expectation that people would be able to freeze the frame and well, look at a high quality it's it's interesting that you say that like may like it could possibly be that because like if you know much about the making of this film it's an extremely deliberate film everything yeah. that is done with the killer is extremely poignant and like done for a reason like i'm not like I, I know we've talked about this jake the ending itself yeah um i'm not sure if you know about this zeke about like obviously the ending where he turns towards the camera at the end mm-hmm. about like the reasoning behind that I don't know uh, the reasoning behind it. Oh, but basically, drop some bombs. Uh, some bombs. This, this is like my favorite fact. Uh, well, but, so basically, um, Bong Joon Ho's idea with that ending was that, um, as kind of the main character turns towards the camera, because this killer, this serial killer, was never caught, 
he's still out there in South Korea at the moment. Um, and he, he thought that if he does this, then that way he, he knows that he was essentially going to go see this film and that the character's going to be looking right at him and just like to, to say that like we know you're still out there like oh. <laughs> and just like knowing that kind of I don't know for me like yeah. seeing it on the repeat just makes it even more powerful that kind of ending it, but it's yeah I the second time I absolutely agree it was like oh jeez he's looking right at me yeah. sort of, like you really feel it that time I mean it's it's very much a classic like great train robbery shoot the audience sort of mm. like yeah. it works on that level <laughs> but then you're right having the context of like Bond Joon-ho being like he is going to look out of the screen into the real killer's eyes and uh, they actually have since found the real killer who has yes. admitted to it and I've actually got a quote from Bon Joon-ho who talked about it this happened in I think late 2019 yeah so yeah wow long time after the film long came long out, time um, his quote was when I made the film I was very curious and I also thought a lot about this murderer his face in particular I was able to see a photo of his face and I think I need more time to really explain my emotions from that but right now, I'd just like to applaud the police force for their endless effort to find the culprit. So I can imagine because you're right. There's such a um, an importance in this film on the face and being able to read faces that yeah. for the director to see this face after 16, 17 years, even from the film's release, probably what 20 years from yeah, almost 20 development years, yeah. and all of that. So that would have been a really weird moment for him, I imagine. Yeah, it feels like an opportune moment to talk about that now I guess okay. like the, the kind of idea of like looking into the face and seeing a killer because obviously one of the big messages of this film is you know and it's not like the most original message but I think what it is is it's reflective of true life which is that you know the, sometimes the most evil people are like the most innocent looking and that's mm-hmm. kind of the idea that they have with the the kind of the baby face killer like you know they we slowly hear things about the killer throughout the film you know that he, he's younger than like you would expect he's like he's kind of handsome and the, and you know this is a, that kind of goes into like the whole Ted Bundy mythos I guess yeah well. of course um, of course I think it comes back to it's uh, the absence of dialogue allows like particularly from that character um, allows us to really focus on his face and such and I mean like you look at like the like the Bundys or even you know you take Seven for example with um, John Doe it's like although he's not in the film for up until the last what 25 minutes in that 25 minutes his mouth is running like a million miles an hour so it comes back to more what he's saying and what he's delivering rather than how he looks whereas this film really emphasises no it's the it's the lies behind the eyes or the the truths behind the eyes you know it's what's going on in here and yeah Yeah. I think that that emphasis on face and absence right yeah. yeah absence of dialogue well, yeah that, that was sort of another um added benefit of my second viewing is knowing um not going in blind knowing that they're not going to find the killer at the end of the film that's not yeah. what this film's about so there was that extra benefit of being able to sort of follow the plot more easily because i knew there wasn't going to be like oh that's the yeah, guy there absolutely so i was able to focus more on the the intricate interactions and uh like okay well why is this person the new suspect and i was able to focus on those questions more so that yeah. was something i got out of a second viewing definitely also. and i think i think that like um as much as it is them unraveling the mystery slowly by finding each kind of next culprit of who they think committed the murder mm. it's actually equally just a commentary on like their entire process like yeah. the fact that you know they just assume that you know they like for lack of better term the strange looking guy obviously with the mental illness he looks obviously a bit strange in the film Yep. is the killer and that's kind of the reflection of obviously the baby face handsome killer right yeah. is that, so like the the assumptions that people make about 
you know something that like it i think like i think it's pretty much like an undiagnosed mental illness in in that community from the sounds of it i don't think right. they ever they don't quite name anything name, name like, anything no. so i think that that's kind of the like the the fear of the unknown in that regard as yep. well um and yeah i i kind of want to like Jump, jump ahead to like my favorite ever, like this might be like we one of my favorite ever films sections. oh we have it okay great okay. Yeah, i'm gonna hold that up then okay cool well like to your point even about like whether the, the disability is recognized or even understood by the characters yeah. to your point zeke mm. about like you, you know the kind of economical state that these characters are in where it's like maybe they're not an ability to understand this disability and then yeah maybe they well, the, do become the new suspect because yeah i mean we don't gotta, it's important to note that it was in 1983 too and yeah. this is a right. an important distinction because obviously we approached mental health in the early 80s a lot differently to especially, especially in, the cultural, east, in the east yes yeah, yeah so and that there is important distinctions like they don't get um, they can't get tests back straight away. They have to send them off to the States, you know? Yeah. So it's like, even from an economic standpoint, Korea was a little bit behind the Western world in terms of of technology, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and a client, like, even, like, that's one of the most important things. It's like, there were murders in the 80s in America, so there was almost a desensitized culture in the Western world, because murders, even in Australia, I mean, we had Ivan Milat in the the, mm. the 80s. So it's like we, these these things, these heinous acts were carried out in the Western world. And although still horrible, they are more commonplace. And I think that those, like, important, like, that the time is so important here because, like, it's the people didn't know how to deal with not only, like, you know, people with special needs, but they didn't know how to deal with, like, these heinous acts or, mm. or serial killers putting... Um, like objects in compromising positions on on victims like their reaction i think the watching that's one of my like those scenes those scenes and their disgust and how they honestly just don't know how to react and they're all there's a real masculinity projectile there because they're all trying to act like they're unfazed by it but it's you know obviously the film i think is actually a deconstruction of those sort of masculine tropes throughout because they they don't know how to cope with that stuff and if you compare that to something like you know silence of the lambs where there are some really horrible scenes in that but mm. all of the characters are uh are phased except jodie foster's character yeah it's the sort of the reverse well, the it, flip, e- yeah. even with that scene in particular we're talking about the final crime scene when everyone's like you know distraught and they're all in black and they're yeah. crying and throwing up and it's like that is a contrast to its own earlier scene yeah, well, we're talking about like the tractors are going past and people are walking over the through the crime scene. No one cares. It's like just the development that the town has as a whole from the beginning mm. to the end of this is just I, nuts. I, I think that Bong Joon Ho actually said about um, the killing in general was the way that he looked at it in terms of like the narrative for that town and for South Korea was it was a coming of age for the entire country. Yeah, that that was it was almost like an awakening of reality. Um, that you know these things happen in our society and kind of like a loss of virginity in a way if, if yeah. you will loss and, of innocence, and, sure. and loss of innocence absolutely yeah. and you, you see you see that like you just demonstrated there jake like from the start and seeing how they're not taking it seriously to the end where it's just like you're almost watching like a tragedy unfold yeah. like there's this distraught that the people have lost their minds they've like they're willing to resort to violence to just answer the questions like they've given up essentially yeah no, um, it's, it's 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 sad. compelling to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a great film. Excellent, it's, <laughs> it's, it's terrific. It's just yeah. really great. 
Well, it's... are we happy to move into highlight scenes? Absolutely, Jake. I feel like Steve has been busting. Because <laughs> I know what scene he's going to talk about. Yeah, I'd, <laughs> I, 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 I generally, it's probably in like, like if I was to be able to somehow pick up my top three or five scenes of all time, it'd be in there for sure. It's just the, um, the tunnel train track scene, right? The, the adjacent scene to the very end. Just uh, unbelievable, like, like you, obviously. So this is like right after kind of that final um, scene that we talked about with the the final killing, and you know everyone's just experienced tragedy. Yep. They're waiting on the results to come back to kind of prove that this guy that they've caught is the killer, yep. and just everyone's on edge. And he drags him out with the gun, puts him on the puts him on the train tracks, and just pointing the gun at him, uh, telling him to say that he did it. He gets the confession that he wants, but is it real? He he doesn't know. And then he gets the the evidence finally in his hand to give him the answer, and it just says, "Oh, the evidence was compromised. I'm sorry, we can't give you the answer." And just like get like these characters who have constantly been coming into stumbling blocks throughout the film to just get like the most insulting one of all, just the fact that they will just truly never know for sure yeah. whether or not. And then you know he pulls the gun and he's like, "At this point, do I even care if you did it or not? I just want some closure." And I feel like that's kind of like it's really well reflected with the audience as well of like, do you, like, we want closure. We want to know who did it. We want yeah. to see you catch the killer, but mm. you're just not going to get that. And just like that final moment of, yeah, Jax just pulled up a great screenshot. What, one of the, <laughs> one of the final moments of the killer just walking into the darkness of the tunnel and the way that that is shot, just mm. a shot straight down the tunnel. And he literally just disappears into the darkness, just yeah. like the real killer, obviously just like back in 2003, their opinion was that he just, vanished forever and we would never find him yeah. it was just like about as beautiful and poignant an image in cinema that you can conjure i think yeah it's all it's all right scene <laughs> it's a pretty good scene well <laughs> I, I mean I, I didn't even mention you know like we're talking with the eyes as well you know when he looks him in the eyes and it's like it both what i love about that moment is that so you've got like we said the the old school way of policing and the new school the new school is like the testing that they've sent to america yep. it's failed them then you've got the old school kind of like cop he's like let me look him in the eyes i'm gonna look and he looks him in the eyes and he can't tell for sure yeah. and it's just like both both their styles have failed them and this is where they're at it's yeah it's great pure desperation yeah how about you Z? what was your highlight scene um i honestly really like um the first uh, two the i really yeah, like the two, two. Um, it's hope someone says the chase scene with it through the factory because mm, uh, i want to i want to i really like that one um, i really like the first murder scene scene where like what? the pure incompetence <laughs> of all of the the cops and the, uh, yeah, the yeah. forensics and the communities watching and you know and, and our like uh sort of our central protagonist rural cop He's trying to calm everyone down, but while he's doing it, he's like tripping down the the slopes and he's like <laughs> yeah. stepping over the evidence and then the tractor runs over the one footprint and it just, it's just pure. It's honestly, it's funny, but it's also like, obviously it's terrible because it's like, we're so used to acclimatizing ourselves to, oh, there's been a murder. Everyone's taking it really seriously. Everything's perfectly pristine, cautioned off. People are like... And the fact is, it's like, well, this community's never had this before. Yep. So the way that they're handling it is is very human, but it's like, as a Western audience in particular, a Western viewer, we're so not used to people stumbling over <laughs> a crime scene and, and yeah. freaking out and, and stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, for 
decades of film about like crime thrillers and stuff all, all the crime scenes are crisp and clear cut and and all well executed and they're not like ah, we're just going to step over here or just compromise <laughs> that evidence compromise and it just really it's a really good scene because it's just pure chaos and watching all those people like <laughs> fall down that little yeah, slope like numerous people fall down the same slope <laughs> it's so, so funny, funny. But it's it's it's, it's it's kind of good that scene for two reasons. Is one, like you said, on face value, it's just a funny scene. Like yeah. you know, it's these kind of goofy cops failing at their job essentially. But then, like as you get further into the film, you're like, you're like, wow, like that's really where we started to like where we are now. Like yeah. with their progression, it's just like, yeah, it's such a great just scale. I think absolutely. And I want to bump off the visuals of it's not that scene, but it's the same location when um, the father comes out to try and collect his son, and they're all yeah. like scrambling over oh, each other just that's that, blocking that, as well yeah. that's blocking but even just the, the choice to make that little bit of slow motion in there is like brilliant is, is, is that, is that, that's the scene as well where they um basically the rural cops are trying to get this kid to just <laughs> like tell them how he murdered him but <laughs> but, but, they but they, 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 they're like they're essentially giving him the answers they're like I know you did it this way and then that's yeah. how you killed her <laughs> he's trying no, to reenact no, it like. exactly and then it plays later into them listening back to the confession quote unquote and realising yeah and it's, it's if great. I'm to pick a gripe with the film I can't oh, okay. believe I'm going to jump in with a gripe. Okay. <laughs> it frustrates me that it's very clearly in the first act that he knows, like he saw the murderer, but it took them about an hour and a half to... I think it was pretty clear that this special okay. needs kid saw... Um, he saw the murderer, like the actual murderer. And he was trying to tell them in the park. And um, that might play into... It, yeah. I know Stephen's already like sharpening the knife. No, no, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's certainly, it's certainly is frustrating, especially like going back and seeing it because it's like, it's right there in front of them. But yeah. I do I do kind of like, I know what you're saying. Like, I think it's... I do think it is. But maybe I've got idea. too much of my film hat on. And I'm Definitely, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, from a plot point, it's obvious that he's absolutely, seen... Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. It's just I, the incompetence I, of them, I guess. But yeah. Yeah, but then, but, absolutely. So yeah. maybe we are meant to be as frustrated at them as yeah exactly well, that, that's yeah. the thing because they do it repeatedly they try and put words in these people's mouths like yeah. it happens multiple times rather than so. just listen yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah i mean uh, probably the best example is that is the way that they use the um the poli- the lady who works in the police office and you know they're constantly mm-hmm. using her for like these small minute tasks and she's actually the one that comes up with probably the biggest piece of crucial evidence which is the radio obviously yeah. Um, in which the, everyone the bar the federal agent dismisses like the whole way like for a good yeah. period of time so um yeah. yeah jake you gotta throw up your highlight scene yeah i know i'm stuck between two because i'll i'll, I'll just give a little shout out to um the introduction of the ice i can see people's eyes moment because there's actually a very like participatory moment uh, for the audience when they they introduce the two people in the corner being like oh one of them is like a rapist and the other is like the the brother of the victim yeah and it's almost like a, you know they're asking him to to you know you tell the part who's who but then the way it's framed and the fact that he doesn't answer is like well clearly the audience is meant to be figuring this out and that you can't help but try mm. and look at their faces and figure out which one's which i guess yeah. my real highlight scene is kind of what you were alluding to earlier Stephen. it's actually the scene before the chase yep. when they all sort of kind of stumble into the same spot um on different not occasion but you know different i guess tasks or yeah just different times and and they see the guy who's wearing the panties and, and then it i what i love about the scene is like when they sprint into chase yeah. there's not even a question of oh you're here no it's like no nope, we're in let's we're all go accepting, let's yeah. chase this and, and that's a great moment as well yeah. and, and then yeah that that's a great scene but it's a great film 
No like. dramas. Well, <laughs> Memories of Murder is currently out on Blu-ray in the Bong Joon-ho box set that Jake got. I don't think it's on SBS On Demand. But, um, no, it's not. You can watch The Host and Mother on SBS. Yeah. Um, you can get Memories of Murder on DVD separately, I think. Yeah, there you or go. Or you can break into Jake's house and steal it, like I'll be doing. What? Wow, okay. you know what? You know what? <laughs> well, that aside, Jake, what's new in streaming platforms and cinemas this week? It's a big week, everyone. Hold on to your hats. Uh, coming to Netflix this week is I Met a Girl, which is actually a WA shot romantic film that sees an aspiring musician as he embarks on a cross-country journey to find the woman of his dreams who may be all in his head. So I watched just... the trailer for this. Okay. This actually looks, like, kind of cool. Oh, <laughs> like, I was about to make like, a joke oh, and no. you jumped in there. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's good. I was going to be like, so it sounds like you met a girl. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, uh, ge- generally, like, I, I would implore anyone to actually go watch the trailer for this because I reckon it actually looks pretty pretty interesting. Uh, it's got my boy Brenton Thwaites in it, um, nice. who's just a great, terrific Australian actor. Um, but, yeah, no. I, <laughs> like, okay. I, I heard the premise and I had the same, same kind of initial thought, like, okay, here's the generic thing, but... I think that the ending of the logline, who may be all in his head, I think that kind of like, you yeah. shouldn't have put that in there. Well, yeah, if you watch the trailer, it's very clear whether or not it isn't all in his head or not. So it's, okay. it, I don't think it's actually the the kind of central it's question the of the question. film, gotcha. which I think is way more interesting than like the, is she fake, is she not fake kind of stuff that we always see. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay, fair, yeah. fair call. Uh, the other one is Concrete Cowboy, which sees a teenager discover the world of urban horseback riding. When he moves in with his estranged father in North uh, Philadelphia. Also, Shrek 1 and 2 are coming to Netflix if you want to jump in. I watched a scene from (laughs) Shrek 2 the other day just for a laugh. Like that I Need a Hero scene with Mongo. Oh, one of the best covers in a movie, eh? But like, (laughs) just watching Mongo. Oh, so funny. What a great film. Shrek Shrek 2, what a great film. (laughs) Pretty brilliant. It's a great film. Got to do it one day. Coming to stand this week, you have Vin Diesel's The Last Witch Hunter. E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which we did an episode oh, 80-something. 80 84, 85. I'm impressed Maybe, yeah. by your guys' ability to just recount the exact number oh, of episodes. Oh, we're getting sloppy. Ballpark-ish. And also the Divergent trilogy of film is coming there. Uh, coming to what Prime... number was that? Sorry? What number did you guys do the Divergent trilogy? Nah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've never wow. seen those films. Yeah. I don't plan on watching them. Yeah, my friend calls them the, the detergent trilogy. So, uh, I think it's... Well, you'd be that. drinking detergent <laughs> yeah. by the end of it. Oh, no. Um, so, I missed this one. This is already on Prime. Is The Mauritanian, which, of course, uh, Jodie just... Foster yeah. got her Golden Globe nom. So, that's out now if you want to see it. Uh, let's see. Also, The King of Staten Island, The Personal History of David Copperfield, and the 2020 film Unhinged is all on Prime this week. And coming to cinemas, I'm excited about this one, Nobody, Nobody. which comes to Hoyt since he's Bob Odenkirk playing an enraged man who must enter a, a barrage of fist, gunfire, and squealing tyres on a dangerous man, mission. Man, I have the motivation to go to Hoyt's again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> to save his wife and son. Yeah, I I mean, I think we both got invited by the same person. Yeah. And then we, neither of us could make neither it. Neither of us could make it, no, to the... Uh, to the advanced screening for that one so yeah. no I definitely will be checking that one out in cinemas I think yeah for sure so I think that's tomorrow April 1st um, let's see The Curious he's Benjamin Cumberbatch or Cabbage Patch play a Cold War spy who teams up with a Russian source to try and put an end to the Cuban Missile Crisis in this true story retelling and finally this surprised me fi- uh, final First Cow comes to Luna and sees a skilled cook oh, upon joining oh, I want to watch that for like Whoa, a year yeah, I know. It's like, oh, Very it's cool. actually coming out. Uh, sees a skilled cook upon joining a group of fur trappers in Oregon, collaborate with a Chinese immigrant on a new successful 
business venture. Oh, I've been meaning to catch a Kelly Reichardt film in cinemas for so long, so <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm into chance. that. Very good. For sure. Exciting. Well, we're not catching any of those next week on the show, Jake, <laughs> but we are catching something pretty new. Yeah, so um, out of the eight Oscar Best Picture noms, we've already covered six, and there's only two left. I think, Zeke, we've been pretty... We've been pretty booked. Yes. So um, I reckon we do the one that's readily available on Prime already. So. Next week in the show, we're watching Sound of Metal. You sound great. Yeah, right. What? You're telling me you weren't feeling it? You were in it. We don't need to, we don't need to put them all out. I know, but we just need to film hearing is deteriorating rapidly we'll come back till then lou we just keep going okay no lou no. let's play tomorrow let's see what it's like okay i'm gonna be like a click track you can play to me you have to understand your first responsibility is to preserve the hearing you have i can't hear you do you understand me i can't i'm deaf i'm deaf a heavy metal drummer's life is thrown into freefall when he begins to lose his hearing. I've not seen this film yet. Um, oh. I've heard really great things about it from everyone that I know who has seen it. Um, right. I'm surprised, you know, yeah. you were on the show for a drummer's film. I know. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've actually sat down to watch this film about three times <laughs> and then just like, kid cries, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm not watching this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I caught this a few weeks back and it's a really great film. I, mm-hmm. I think it will... I think I'll like it even more on a second watch. But, of course, we shall elaborate next week, Zeke. No worries. Well, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And I was Stephen. And we'll catch you next week with The Sound of Metal. Clink. <laughs> <laughs> Clink.